That's an important number, but we're live. So welcome back, everybody. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans, and we're all here today geeking out over our scientific passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So uh, without further ado, before we get started, as you know, we've got Doc Spears, which is what he writes under, and everyone calls him Doc. So uh, Doc Saska, you're just going to be Saska today, all right? We don't want to confuse people. Oh, you're already All right, just try not to stab me for this one later. I know, I know, Nick, you're already confused. But uh, all right, so um, Doc, can you introduce yourself? (laughs) <laughs> okay, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers, Doc? My name is the, the other Doc. We are we we already established. We already covered that. Sorry, I, I slipped. <laughs> I'm uh, John Spears, known as Doc Spears for probably forty odd years and things like that. And I'm a, a very happy, proud, humble uh, science fiction author who was published by Galaxy's Edge and Wargate. All right. And the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So uh, I actually found um, Doc Spears through the Galaxy's Edge universe. He is obviously one of the writers uh, in that universe. He wrote The Dark Operator and now the series we're here to talk about today, Warlord. But he also, um, if you listen to Nick um, Cole, not our Nick, uh, talk. He also has advised them a lot on um, all the different military things that they might or might not uh, know on their own and help them make their military stuff kick, you know, butt. And so uh, that's how I found it. But what about you, Doc? Seska? Habit. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> uh, Seska, how did you uh, first find Doc? Spears. I found him because we brought him on for the Dark Operator. And I kept him because he's really awesome and neat. Aww. Right back right. at and you. And I think you, I think, Nick, you knew him from other places. So so how did you first hear of the one, the only Mr. Doc Spears? Uh, on social media. And then you guys said, hey, he's coming on the show. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, social media oh, is in my existence, which, you know, the necessary evil that I have to peel some amount of most every day out of to, uh, to, uh, you know, make sure that there's some reach and that, you know, like most of us, what we do doesn't just evaporate into the ether of electrons on the internet, you know, for, for three other people in the world to ever see social media. I hate you, but I need you. Yeah. Definitely a love-hate relationship. Yeah, true that. All right, Seska, you get to ask the important questions. We got to do the religion questions and we mixed it up this time because he was on before. Yes, he he was on before, and you did. I'm so proud of you. Okay. <laughs> Even though the answers will be the same, but, you know. We'll, no, they yeah, won't. We'll jazz it up. We'll jazz it up. I can do it. So, Predator, Aliens, or Universal Soldier? Oh, Aliens. Aliens. Okay. I, will, I, will, I will watch my man Bill Paxton and Aliens on a daily basis. Can't help it. You know, we all have our comfort movies. So... Avatar, the live action movie, you know, the one with the blue people. I'm down with it. With my Warcraft buddy Steven Lane. Yep. Or the 13th Warrior. 13th Warrior, I think. I can pretty much judge whether somebody and me will be good Boudreaux based on 
whether they love 13th warrior or not. That is fair. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're down with 13th warrior, you're going to be down with me. That was the movie that made me curious about mead because that's what he was drinking. <laughs> Excellent movie. Just throwing a conniption. She's like, purely no, no, for scientific research. Of wine. He's like, it's, it's honey. It's made of honey. That's right. That's right. Even, even the Muslims can drink it. Yeah. Don't worry, little brother. There's more. <laughs> yeah, grow stronger. <laughs> I tell grow people stronger. that all the time. <laughs> you know, God, with it, with this, so uh, this is ball and a, and a suppressor and a white light at the end of this carbine. It's really, it's really hard for me to hold steady offhand at a hundred yards. Uh, grow stronger. So that's the ironic thing from a historical perspective, the, the mead and the honey they consumed actually is what helped the Vikings be stronger and taller because of some of the medicinal qualities it had. And they just consumed so much of it. It gave them a slight advantage over their uh, somewhat malnourished peers. That's How why they uh, could do skeletal. They the Vikings, uh, the, that demographic also uh, practiced a lot better bathing. They, or or Mother Nature did form in the ocean. Yeah. There could be but, one. But anyway. I just have to agree. I, I was trying to make it. It's my natural state of being. But I'm just trying to justify our, you know, drinking more mead. I was going to make it like medicinal, but you went and ruined it for me. Thanks. Oh, no. It's definitely so, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that mead is why some people I still talk to. <laughs> so we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, for me, yeah, it was definitely sci-fi with a real heavy emphasis on the social fiction. I, you know, I cut my teeth in the '70s on, of course, like Heinlein and Jerry Pornell and Larry Niven and dudes like that who, you know, who, who really grabbed me. And you know, that's this latest series, Warlord. Of course, you know, the setting is a portal story. You know, how do you get a how do you get a group of Green Berets on like an Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars? You know, it's, you know, it's like I always say, it's like the, the South Park underpants gnomes, like three part business plan, you know, A, steel underwear, B, C, profit. You know, for me, you know, the, how do you get the Green Berets to an Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars? The B, step B was portal. So, um, you know, Heinlein, one of the really one of the really formative books for me as a preteen was one of the Heinlein juveniles called Tunnel in the Sky, which that setting was just was something I, I, I love and I tell it in my own stories is to try and get that reader that feeling of what would I do in the situation the character is in. And that's that's kind of the basis of that whole book is, you know, uh, you know, to graduate high school in the future, you have to be prepared to survive in a survival setting, in a scenario. And you have no idea what that's going to be. So you have to be ready for everything. And uh, these kids go through like the sky tunnel and they come out on a pretty primitive world and they're stranded. And they have to get by and they have to deal with, you know, people who aren't 
keen on being societal cooperators and they have to deal with evil people and they have to deal with, you know, just the act of survival. And, you know, I was probably 11 or 12 when I read that and it made a big, big impression on me. And that was kind of my stepping off point into uh, the, you know, what I subsequently read that warped my little mind, you know, thank goodness. So I hope I'm out there warping lots of little minds. I think modern kids could use a little bit of that uh, tunnel and, and survival skills. Maybe we ought to bring that back. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Maybe we should institute that. Don't get me started. It'll be like Lord of the Flies all over again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I parented just fine using a Nerf gun. I mean, I just got lots of ways to do it in my cell. Um, also, also a valid, but uh, true. All well, right, Nick, you're our... head here. <laughs> so I'm not going to hurt the child, but he's going to uh, paint an, a valuable teacher. Hey, so, the, uh, the world is not constructed so... of rounded edges and, and dulled corners and things like that. And yeah, you know, mm -hmm. we need a little more of that. You know, that's why I'm I'm immune to criticism because. You know, I grew up holding the flashlight for dad. Oh, yeah. Oh, my Lord. I had like nine memories just pop back in my head. None of them are pleasant. <laughs> You're very good, you know. You know a lot of I thought through. your mother and I had some children that lived. You know, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Hold it right here, idiot. Holy crap. Wait, you were you met my stepdad? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know you knew my stepdad. I, okay. I am that guy. I am that guy. I have, yeah. five, I have four adult children. You know, they they all went through it. Even my daughter. Oh, my. They just, they just, you know, oh, dad, you know, you're so yeah. funny. <laughs> all right, Nick. Next question is yours. Uh, all right. Do this on the fly. Do it on the fly. What do you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Um, well, when it's done well, right, I think it I think it allows the author to take the reader on an adventure. And again, very very much what I have always enjoyed is that process of, you know, thinking, what would I do if I were the character in that situation? You know, and, and there's value. It's the same thing we see in movies. You know, even if uh, even if they're screwing up by the numbers. And that's what we enjoy commenting on with our buddies. There's still a lot of entertainment factor in that alone. Even if it's an idiot, you know, why are you doing that? You know, that's going to get you killed. You know, that's part of the entertainment value. Uh, the best speculative fiction, uh, I, I think, of course, takes us uh, down that road where, where the characters and the situations present present many paths that they can follow and you know and the and the reader hopefully gets to choose their own adventure and hopefully it's the right one the one the author chooses <laughs> yeah you gotta got him to it you gotta get him to it that's awesome so how did you transition that I, i'm pretty as a reader? i'm sorry jr what? what were you saying i was about to say i'm pretty sure that's why people watch horror movies so they can scream at the idiots yeah oh, absolutely. Absolutely. break all the tropes yes. and the rules Huge fan, huge fan of that. Where were you um, on that, Nick? Go ahead. I'm gonna have to hold on. We gotta rewind in the brain here. Uh, too many <laughs> <ADs>. <laughs> Uh 
Um, how did you take that love of reading speculative fiction and transition it and want to create and write stories in that genre? Um, so far, I'd say I'm, I'm finishing my 10th book right now in two and a half years. By, by, the end, by next month, I'll have had nine books come out in the last two and a half years. So I haven't been at this a very long time, but I'm pretty much a niche writer. I write what I know, which is which is military type science fiction. Uh, you know, uh, I'll just go on a rant here so it will make sense for anybody who might actually care. My background is I started life in the army at 17 as a, as a young, dumb paratrooper, and I went to selection and uh, I did seven years active duty, the majority of that in U.S. Army Special Forces. My job during those years is I uh, conducted counterinsurgency operations in Central and South America and was very heavily involved in counter narco-terrorism throughout most of the 80s. And then after that, I had a break where I uh, did some contracting for the government. I finally got serious and got an education uh, and I became an orthopedic spine surgeon. During that whole period of time, that 20 years while I was getting that education, while I was working at that, I was still very busy uh, consulting and training for uh, DOD and U.S. law enforcement special operations. So I was always kind of wearing two hats and was very busy. I run a tactical consulting and training business for for uh, Department of Defense personnel and for law enforcement special operations personnel, where that's what I do. I train people in in tactics and procedures, you know, and specifically what we call procedural integration. Um, where that comes around is me as a as a writer and you know the question has come up before about you know what do you find good tropes what do you find bad tropes you know the thing that uh always grates me and dudes from my tribe is that special operations or what people think of as special operations are a bad trope the operators who do those things are extremely poorly visualized and written. You know, uh, entertainment is entertainment. It doesn't have to be reality, but at some point it'd be nice if somebody got something a little right instead of making everything just basically a bad joke. And it's to guys like me, those from my tribe, when you read stuff about this guy's dad and he's a badass because he did that, or, you know, the, the CIA taught him how to be an unstoppable killing machine. You know, it's like that is yeah. never happened ever, ever. You know, dudes are in OGA ground branch primarily come from the military special operations side and the skills that they're bringing to that government agency not that that government agency is teaching them and most of those dudes think they're really good dudes but their job is in you know managing intelligence assets that's what their job is and they're doing it in austere environments so at some point it just got to you know it's it's kind of the same thing that dropped drop drove me to be a doctor you know why did i become a doctor you know 
quote, one of my jobs in special forces, I was an 18 Delta, one of the four primary special forces MOSs is special operations medic. And uh, that's how I cut my teeth on an A team. And, uh, and at some point I got the bright ideas like, this guy isn't smarter than me. He just took it on himself to get like 16 years of schooling to become a doctor so that he could have the sheepskin and the letters in front of him behind his name. So people go, oh, well, that guy's a doctor. So therefore he must be right. Um, and it was that it was that journey of spite that led me to be a doctor for those reasons. But it's the same thing. At the end of the day, you it doesn't matter your pedigree, you still have to be right. Do you dig what I'm right. saying? Right. Yeah, I'm picking up what you laying down, Doc. With writing or with anything else like that, I, you know, it doesn't. You know, you ever you ever you ever read some terrible postmodern novel that was supposed to be the great American novel that this dude with a PhD in modern literature wrote. It's a complete piece of garbage. You know, okay. yes, of course, some of us have, you know, it's like, right, you've got the pedigree, but you ain't got the chops and it didn't connect no. with anybody. So, so, so you talked, yeah, I know okay. chomping at the bit to go here, but go ahead, Seska. Real quick. So people don't think I'm laughing at you. I'm laughing because I just recently heard her got in touch again. Like I have a friend who we started going to chemistry, to do, going through our chemistry program together at the same time, but he was also a medic. That's exactly why he went to med school too. And he's doing it. Yeah, we all do. It's right like now. that, that freaking surgeon I worked for, that guy was a box of rocks with lips. Right. So I'm just laughing <laughs> you're not the only MD I know who did it out of spite. Yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm a DO, just a you know the, okay, the Osteopathic yep. Medical Association hates it when you know that happens. But uh, but actually, he's a DO too, so this is really weird now. Isn't that? Yeah, there's a lot of us like that. But you know, the long roundabout answer to all of that is, as an author, you know, I definitely believe in that ad adage of write what you know. What I know is special operations right that's what i've been in well, i guess for 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 essentially a lifetime um and being a soldier and and what that means which is right why i write some version of military science fiction with with everything that i do i'm writing situations and i'm writing characters and i'm a i believe i'm a big tent kind of guy I would like everybody to come in the tent and sample what I've got. I would like everybody to be entertained with what I do. I would like everybody to get some insight into the ethos of warriors, what it takes to actually do that job, to get some inkling of what actually special operations are. You know, other authors, when what you write about is like what makes a guy you know, a green beret or whatever he is, is that he can do more push-ups and run faster than everybody else. Hillbilly, please. All right, you're wearing me out. Talk about terrible tropes. Um, it's just, it's just terrible. But at the end of the day, who I am really writing for, it, it, it is truly the person I'm visualizing I'm writing for is two groups of people. Those who've been there and done that and are currently doing and that young person who I'm hoping to inspire to raise their hand and take a chance 
to go live a fantastic life because for stepping forward and taking the chance, a absolutely amazing life does wait for you. All you have to do is take the first step. Yep. And that's I want I want everybody to I want everybody to get a sample. I want everybody to read. I, I I hope people find something in there, you know, that touches them on some human way. Uh, but that's who I'm writing for. Me and my breed, and for those who might join me in my tribe. And everybody else is so, welcome to come along for the ride. So because I know Walt's gonna listen to this, I have to put the obligatory leg lives matter, people. Uh, you know, from, from from one light grunt to you. Uh, but with that being said, because I know Nick doesn't think they do, um, you've talked about how your military experience sort of influences the way you tell stories. Do you ever draw on the specific people you knew, or is it more like just a sort of amalgamation of people? Um, some I, I don't write any character as like a facsimile of somebody I did. Everybody's kind of an amalgam of many people I knew you know, in different situations. And, you know, in those things, some people, you know, uh, uh, in different situations and over time, they morph into different versions of them own, own selves, you know, but uh, uh, Warlord's a good example of it. The, the new series that just launched for me, the people in there, the good and the bad uh, are very much amalgams of, of people who I was on A-teams with. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And there's people that dudes right now who are uh, who are behind the trigger, you know, reach out to me and say, dude, you nailed it, man. This is my this is this. This is my senior weapons, man. That was my junior engineer. You know, that's my O&I guy, man. You nailed it. That's who it is. And that's, you know, I guess you, you asked me once about, you know, if I think of archetypes in special forces, there very much are archetypes between Weapons men, demo men, medics, you know, O&I guys, team sergeants, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah there they're actually are. So I guess I was a liar there. Yep, I do think in archetypes when it comes uh, into uh, special forces and their, their uh, military occupation specialties. I admit it. It's okay. Right, now mean, you get to admit the... When it's actually a real thing that happens, I mean, it's okay to admit. So, yes, I have a problem. I just think of that. But, you know, it's like we all relate. I just came back from a week at Fort Benning as a contractor. The Army. Mother Benning! There you go. The Army. I was down there all last week. I flooded social media with a bunch of stuff as much as I could of what I was doing. The Army brought me down as a contractor to work with uh, 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 a bunch of two man teams heading up for the. Winston P. Wilson sniper competition at Fort Chafee next week, and then for the international sniper competition at Benning beginning of next year. So I got brought down to help do some train up for those sniper teams, and then uh, spent some time at the sniper school, my alma mater, of which I'm the I'm a plank holder of the U.S. Army Sniper School, and turns out I'm the first combat deployed sniper from U.S. Army Sniper School. Wow. So the president of the Army Sniper Association came down to meet me and I spent time with the, the cadre at sniper school and things like that. So the downbeat of that is, is uh, 
I'm now a guest lecturer and a, and a graduation speaker at the U.S. Army Sniper School starting next year, first quarter. Yeah, your uh, video of the ghillie wash brought back some painful memories. <clears throat> yep. Yep. It's a great thing. That <laughs> coincidentally worked out beautiful to be there to see uh, to see that go down. The, uh, the completely, if you don't know, if, you're, if you look on my Facebook or IG, I put that stuff up there just there to see a nice, you know, when the students build their, their ghillie suits, their camouflage suits, we got to break them in. So the ghillie wash is a nice, you know, uh, half a day of low crawling through, you know, muddy ditches and things like that. It's a good time. It's a good time. Everybody yeah. can do it. it takes and a rite of passage. So earlier you mentioned some of how your experiences have influenced what you write as well as how you engage with the media. So we're going to get a little into some of the fan stuff because that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, it is the the. I'm you've all experienced, right? I mean, what is the what is more rewarding than when a fan reaches out to you and says, "That was great," I I totally related to that, you know, and it entertained me, and you know, it's the it's getting to to make that connection with fans that's probably the best part of the whole experience. So have you had any fan cosplays yet? Excuse me, any what? Cosplays yet. Cosplays, no. No? No. I'm sure we can figure out somebody to fix that. And how about the first He's time? Had, yeah, hmm? yeah, the cosplay. He's had fan art. You forgot that part. Most of what goes on in my work is either, you know, like Dark Ops Legionnaire stuff or it's, uh, you know, you know what what a current guy looks like on an a team deployed somewhere there's you know so and, how and about of, and of that the airsofters have many 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 millions of dollars uh, invested in trying to look like an action guy <laughs> so how about fan art fan art you know our buddy nahum beard did a great lego of uh the dark operator uh character kel turner kel turner and uh, some of those things. And, you know, right now we're just the, uh, honest to goodness, cover art for the Warlord series uh, that uh, Steve Ferris did is so Frazetta quality or beyond that, uh, you know, I, I very much welcome, uh, I very much welcome uh, uh, fans uh, entering that world, but, uh, you know, golly, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's just outstanding. You know, Steve Ferris, if you go to steveferris.com and look, he has done uh, work for, I mean, like the, the, the real, the real kings of sci-fi and stuff like that. And me, uh, which was really cool. We were really, we were really lucky to land him when I uh, talked him through and like that one, you know, which is, it's, it's, you know, somebody said, wow, it sure gives me like, uh, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars vibes. And I said, I'm, I'm glad it did because I actually went to a whole lot of trouble to write a series and to design cover art that was supposed to make you get that vibe. So, you know, that's that's not by accident. But like that with, you know, the main character doing kind of the Conan, the King pose uh, to mm -hmm. get it for 
Steve Ferris to do the art, I said, screw it. The best way to do this is for me to just kid up and like, you know, get in a chair and do the Conan, the King pose (laughs) it with an M4 and then say, okay, and I want the princess here and I want the big green guy there and I want it to look like that. And he said, dude, I know exactly what you want. And he proved that he did. That's Uh, awesome. It's hard sometimes to communicate ideas. Yeah. I don't know if you got the next two covers that he's done for us, but I, they're just, they're utterly, uh, they're utterly fantastic. They are just utterly fantastic. So I will, I will throw those, uh, the link to the series in the show notes to your listeners so you can check them out. Um, when I tried to grab the covers from Amazon, they were coming across really buggy and glitchy. So I had to get this one directly from the publisher. But oh, uh, yeah. since you mentioned the cover art, we're going to go a little bit out of order, Doc. Nick likes to talk about the cover art. Yeah, uh, and the story of it. So, Nick, do you, what, what, what do you think of the cover art, Nick? Oh, you put Nick on the oh, spot. What do you think of the cover art? Oh, that's awesome. Um, got, um, yeah, Conan vibes right away. And then I noticed um, that uh, his combat shirt is really tight, and I'm going to really have to hit the gym hard so I can fit that. That's right, baby. That DM4 loadout <laughs> is awesome. I'm like, I, 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 I love fantasy art. I love the Conan art from back in the day. Oh um, yeah, all these vibes here. Um, I like the axe. I like the M4 loadout. I'm like, man, I, I, I'm already planning how I'm going to build that. Um, the alien in the back is really cool. I really like the big jowl. Um, yeah, it's cl- like I say, it's, it's very much homage to you know the great pulp authors and artists of that time, and you know, and that's kind of you know the the. The purpose behind this, you know, some of my, my military science fiction thrillers, and then, oh, uh, Tier 1000 was a great romp in the what if of like replaying famous battles throughout history. And it was a real romp through history. This is very much a, a uh, contemporary tale in that fantastic setting. And it's like, say, my motivation behind it all is, is, uh, Back when I was a young guy on an A-team and, you know, we would boogie to some third world cesspool for six months at a time, us and our lonesome and the host country we were working in, you know, our off time entertainment, you know, besides getting bit by vampire bats or whatever like that was whatever books we would bring with us. And, you know, by the end of a mission, you know, if everybody bought five or six books, Everybody on the team would swap those books and everybody had read them two or three times. And, you know, it would give us something to talk about when we're, you know, out on patrols or, you know, in patrol bases and and doing things like that. And, you know, the whole purpose was I wanted to give people a book that I hope would be as engaging and entertaining as the stuff that I used to read back in those days. And, you know, where I hooked the team on, you know, Conan and Call the Conqueror and, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, Princess of Mars was not as popular with most of the dudes, nowhere near as as, uh, much as Remo Williams, the Destroyer or Mac Bolan or, or things like that. So, you know, my desire was to like touch all of that pulp from across a 50 year span and, and, 
and give a product that would let me tell a story the way I like to tell a story, uh, which is, you know, to make it fun, to make it entertaining, to address issues, um, and to give the reader a taste of what it is actually like to be a special operator. You know, yeah, and, and cover art is such an important part of that. You know, back in the day, oh, yeah. back, back in the old days, when, you know, we would go to a physical brick and mortar bookstore, you know, or I would do like, all right, I'm, you know, I, I spent most, a good number of those years overseas. If I would be in the United States in the land of the big PX, I would have to hit a bookstore and I would have to get a couple of years worth of reading. And when you're running through and pulling titles, you know, what's the number one thing that grabs you? Mm, the book cover. cover, right? You know, so, yeah. uh, so not that covers aren't important now, but, uh, you know, I do love a cover that does give you some idea of what the, the reader can expect from the story and the setting and things like that. So uh, that was, that yeah, was part of this series. This cover pulls it off. It's very Frank Frazetta, uh, which always pulled me into Conan books and oh, yeah. cool Conqueror oh. and all that. You um, knew what you Yeah, you, absolutely. You knew so, you were not getting a, you know, a uh, uh, Victorian young woman's coming of age drama when you picked one of those covers up, right? Yeah, it's it's obviously not Pride and Prejudice and Zombies or whatever, but uh, it, it's it's a great cover. What I really like about it is that you have that age distressed look. Is that something that you thought of that you wanted yeah. in there, or was that yep, okay. yep. The, the author, the 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 artist recommended it. We threw it up there. Walt Robillard had a lot to do with the uh, with the successful uh, uh, production of these covers and their look and things like that. He is such a you know, such an indispensable asset for Galaxy's Edge and Wargate and the work that he does, you know, on top of writing himself and doing things like that. So, yeah, this was a this was definitely a group effort with me and uh, uh, Walt and the great Steve Ferris doing the art that he did. And uh, I just I, you know, I'm humbled that I get to have my name associated with art like this. Oh, it's fantastic. All right. That's a poster I'd hang in my office. It's a it's yeah. A, that is a it is a piece of uh, amazing art, and uh, maybe you can make that happen with uh, with Jason and Nick, where they actually sell that as a poster. Because I mean, I've got a spot for it. I'm just saying. But uh, with that being said, we're gonna pause for a moment where we shamelessly shill for the man. They picked a fight with the wrong species, a nation at war, the United Stars of America. Born in the conflagration of an unprovoked alien attack, the newest entrant to galactic politics took the few crumbs of hypertech gifted to it and ran with them, soon expanding over dozens of star systems and establishing a wide trade network protected by its powerful navy and the dreaded warp marines. In a fight to the death, a single marine platoon tasked with protecting an embassy on a hostile alien planet, an embassy and the fragile human enclave around it that soon finds itself surrounded by armed mobs. Can the Marines at a ragtag band of civilian and Navy personnel survive long enough to be rescued? All right. So uh, I didn't realize when I snagged that commercial that it was Nick Cole actually narrating that one. <laughs> it's just coincidence. But um, you talked about. Are you sure it was Nick? 
Yeah, uh, you know, his, his voice acting chops are still there. Uh, so, so Doc Spears, where did you get the premise? You talked about the inspiration for this series, but where did you get the specific premise for, like, what what Warlord became? Like, how did you come up with it? Well, so it's like I say, part of part of <laughs> if you'll if you'll forgive the the egotism, part of what I see is my mission is is education. Uh, I want to entertain people, but like I say, I take I take exception to just how you know the special operations is taken as a bad trope is a bad is a bad tool to use for for most authors uh they can be kind of mary sue sometimes if they're not careful. yeah it, it it absolutely is it's that widget to fix everything or you know the people who can do anything you know and uh uh it, it just doesn't come off very well most of the time um Setting it up, I do. I tell a very specific story uh, through these first three books that's continuing on, and very much it tell it's you know utilizing the 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 the, the building blocks of what are what is unconventional warfare and special operations, and within that, there tale there are stories that very much that I want to tell. Uh, you know, where I am telling the story of mental health of our veterans. I'm telling the story of the challenges that our war fighters and our veterans deal with, you know, when they're on the trigger, you know, during and beyond and how it affects people, mm -hmm. uh, how it affects relationships. Uh, and that's a very, very major theme throughout the book. And there's just, there's just things throughout all of that, 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 like I say, I want to tell those stories because I just don't see them being told, or in my opinion, I don't I don't see them being necessarily told well or in a depth that I have experienced them. So you know, when I you know already Warlord's been out less than a month, and people reach out to me and say it touched me because. I have gone through the same things. I have seen people go through the same things. I have lost brothers who have who have gone down in the same way. And you know, what you wrote about was genuine and I relate to it and it helps me. And when somebody says that to me, I always tell them the same thing. It's because I wrote it for you. I didn't have any education in the liberal arts. My education has been all in the military arts and sciences and in the hard sciences. And it, despite being a lifelong reader and a student of the written word, it wasn't until much later in life that I learned that the reader is supposed to have a personal relationship with the author and that that is not only okay, that that's, that's a sacred thing that's supposed to happen. You know, that when I, uh, when I get out of bed in the middle of the night, because I've got this, this burning desire to read Ozymandias and I can't help but be marveled that 
you know, Shelley in a handful of stanzas wrote a world that I ponder to this day and that he reached across 200 years to make that connection with me. You know, that when I want to read that, that odd chapter of Heinlein of anything, because it's like I'm sitting down with an old friend again, when I'm able to touch that, you know, that when I finally came to that epiphany, that that's what's supposed to happen, that they wrote that for me, just like they wrote it for you or whoever you have that personal relationship with. So it's like I say, when somebody reaches out to me and tells me that was really good, you know, I, it got a little smoky in the room when I was reading that. It gave me a lot to think about. My answer is always the same for just that reason. It's because I wrote it for you. That is very moving. For is an answer, but that is my your honor. That is my answer. That is fine. It's a great answer. It is a very thorough answer. So, oh, and yeah. that's okay. Um, but can you go ahead and give us what the thirty-second elevator pitch for this book is? Um, a uh, a green beret finds himself uh, on an alien world with his A-team where they're fighting for their very survival and the protagonist is not only fighting for his survival on a harsh alien world, but he's fighting for survival amongst a team that has fallen apart, that has lost its leadership and of which he finds himself uh, not as the the new leader, but rather as the outcast. And he has to use all of his skills as a human, as well as a special forces operator to navigate this new world because his old world is dead and there's no going back to it. So, okay, that's no. very thorough. Yeah, oh, it is very thorough. thorough. Well, so, you know, I am an author. You, I, I well, it's, it's also, I think, not all of I think your experience as a salesman, I think your experience as a salesman and speaking in front of the classes when you teach them gives no. you a leg up because some authors are like, wait, 30 second elevator pitch of this 100,000 word book I wrote? What? Uh, this one, Warlord is about, came out at like 185,000. The audio production is about 22 hours of goodness. So there's some thickness. You to are this. an overachiever. That's uh, it was a, it was a fun story to tell, and there's a lot to it, and uh, to get uh, to you know tell it in the next two books, and where we're going to go with it is is uh, really a privilege. And I'm looking. You're trying to give Sanderson a run for his money on bookline. And by the way, it's you know five minutes before uh, uh, this stream started, the great Walt Robillard and Jason Onspa. Uh, reached out to me to say that Warlord reached number one in men's adventure in Amazon. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that a, that's, awesome. a, new, uh, that's a new categorization for my work from, from Amazon. 
I haven't I haven't competed in men's adventure uh, just yet. Uh, I hadn't but, heard of it yet. So you know, there's a lot of categories. There's a lot, but it's uh, certainly a while. You know, uh, that is the, the advantage of not having any actual bookshelves. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was very fortunate, even as, as a first-time author. My my first book in the Dark Operator series, which Amazon classified them all as uh, military science fiction thriller. You know, I hit number one in my categories for all of those releases. I was very very proud of that. Uh, but Men's Adventure is a very wide category. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of entrance into that. So. Uh, so I'm very proud of that. And that is uh, all uh, 100% due to the fans and uh, to uh, Jason and Jason Onspaugh and Walt Robillard's hard work and to, uh, and to a great cover. Let's, let's face it, a cover, a cover is very important. And, uh, and my man, Steve Ferris, knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, and just so we're clear, even though he's number one in men's adventure fiction, for all you knuckle dragging lady grunts out there, this book's for you too. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, it's actually actually they listed under women's adventure too because there's a pretty lady on. The oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never I've never had a women's adventure book, but you know, I guess I do now. Oh, if I ever release a book, well, now you can tell your daughter. This is the drunken ranger category. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Our doc sales from our sales from ourselves. What? Save us from ourselves at SB3. Well, I mean, you know you need help. That's a good sign. So, but um, we've talked. Have you talked a bit about what makes this series special? Kind of that you want to add to? I mean, we've talked about that this is real you have real legit life experience that you're bringing into it. And I think that is unique, but um, I think we have actually, I don't know. Is there anything well, else you want to add? You've given well, us a lot I of reasons. Say that, you know, common to common to everything that I write, you know, uh, if you want like, you know, like Kung Fu wire Fu stuff, if you want Jedi Knights doing triple somersaults in the air, swinging lightsabers, yeah, I don't write that. Um, if you want to understand, you know, how, you know, a sniper misses detecting a target because he's on IR image intensification instead of thermals at the wrong time, that's what I write about. That's how I illustrate stories. That's how I add conflict in there in interest to the reader by talking about things that actually happen. You know, the science of violence, the silent, the, 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 the science and the discipline of dismounted patrolling and airborne and free fall operations of underwater operations of sniper interdictions, you know, the sniper initiated assaults, mechanical ambushes, you know, things to, that like to Nick and Jr. and me are just kind of, you know, like, like old hat, you know, uh, those are the things that I write about and that's how I write things, you know, uh, and, you know, other people have cursed me, uh, because they say, you know, damn it, you know, when you want to write something, you just think about something that you've done. And I say, yes, I do. 
Okay. That's where the genuineness of what I'm writing about and what I'm doing, that's where it comes from. I'm, I'm not really having to invent anything. I mean, I'm not giving blow by blows of things like I've done, but, but, but it's just being able to create those, those stories and those vignettes and those environments and that they're drawn from personal experience or, you know, very much from the experience of like people from my tribe, you know, yep, I just turn on my brain and I just write it. And when somebody else who's done it reads it, they say, yep, that is how you would do it because that's how it's done. Okay. And um, okay. if you ever decide that the writing business isn't for you, you could always teach the writing is therapy the VA does sometimes. That's how I got started writing. But uh, let's talk about the story itself now. We've talked about sort of the premise and, and everything, but what can you tell us about the main character? Is there more than one? Um, and what makes them unique? I mean, there's a whole cast of characters. You know, the guy you see on the cover is the protagonist, and, and it's told in a first-person way, you know, to, to, to make that connection with the reader so that you're seeing things through his eyes, which is the great thing about a portal story, right? That's what I love about any kind of portal story is, right, you're going to some new fantastic place, you know, where, you know, the rules are different uh, and you're getting to experience it from the character's discovery of all of these things. And that's what's great about a portal story. You know, you're, you're not going down to the corner store or to the bar or, you know, you're not playing pool on the block. You're not doing things like that, right? You know, you're, you're not going to work. You're experiencing something fantastic and unbelievable and you're learning about it through the character's eyes. And that's, that's what you're doing in this story and why I tell it in the first person. And you're, and you're understanding what he's thinking about and the, and the, you know, how it affects what he's doing and why he's doing and why he has his disappointments and, and why he's motivated to do things that he's, the things that he's doing. And, you know, and like I say, it gives that, gives that opportunity for the reader to, you know, say, what would I do in the same situation? And, you know, that's, I just try and write a story that I would like to write. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into the nuts and bolts of the story itself or a play-by-play -play or what they experience. You know, the, the, the cover sets up, you know, and what you should look at is how does that guy, that GWAT operator, how does he get to be there with those people sitting on a throne? And that journey is that's told in that cover is what I'm hoping, you know, uh, continues to engage people because clearly it's, it's found its market. Absolutely. And so real quick before Nick, you ask the next question, uh, Seska apologizes for bouncing again. Her signal is wonky. So uh, dear listener, we're going to continue without her, but I'm sure doc Spears can, can, you know, pull her weight because you know, he's a doc too. It works. It's the same thing. Surgeon. You don't have a doc in every show. Honest to God, I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't cut out on you because I live out in the in the country and our our internet. You know, it's the holiday week. I got you know kids home from college. You know, I would have bet that this uh, that <laughs> my internet would have dropped out like a dozen times by now. So you know, I'm just very grateful that it hasn't. It Fingers crossed. And Nick, the. 
<laughs> next, next one is you. <laughs> okay, so we talked about. Uh, I lost my spot here. Need glasses. Covered that. All right, that looks good. Secondary oh, characters. Okay, <laughs> I got to it, man. I was just adding comedy. That's what I'm here for. I'm not here very often. <laughs> Were there any secondary characters that you found kind of memorable after you you wrote it? You know, can you tell us a little bit about them without giving away any spoilers, of course? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, this 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 whole series has a whole cast of characters, and you know, and and uh, our protagonist can't do it all by himself. You know, he's he's got people who were uh, antagonizing him and trying to kill him, and he's got help and good buddies of uh, of different races uh, and different species. Uh, who are there to back him up because, you know, uh, uh, even on another world, like knows like. And honor understands honor and warriors understand warrior because that is that is true on planet Earth. You know, uh, I experienced the same thing. You know, I spent many years in the traditional Asian martial arts and uh, spent time in Japan and, you know, uh, and those guys, when they see that you have a sincere heart, uh, they don't care that you're a gringo. You know, they care that you have a sincere heart and that you want to promulgate and continue a correct tradition of, of, of Budo, of warrior training and warrior principles. And uh, I found that true in every country I've ever worked in. And I think if you ended up on Mars, and you were dealing with a forearm greenie, that uh, that that would also hold true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, let's talk about the antagonist. Is there is it like one big bad guy, like a, a deep dark, or is there's like a yeah, like there's several of them, and there's an undercurrent of evil that they touch uh, that uh, very much becomes apparent in book one and book two. Uh, Warlord of the Nightmare Realm. If we had that cover, we'd show it, but you would get the deal that uh, it touches on a lot of that. It's supposed to be very reminiscent of a HP Lovecraft kind of pulp. Okay. Uh, like I say, I touched, I, I touched and delved into a lot of those classics uh, because they're some of the greatest, most entertaining stories by some of the greatest, most entertaining authors who have ever lived. And, you know, my goal being, you know, uh, to grab people, to entertain them. And a big part of it is, you know, it's like, I would love for that, you know, that kid who picks up these books to say like, you know, I've never heard of, I've never heard of a princess of Mars. You know, I've never heard of Cthulhu. You know, I've never heard of Call the Conqueror Conan. And if it took one of those guys at that age and it drove him into reading all of that, that's where we're going to get the next generation of writers who's going to entertain me when I'm in the old soldier's home with my color TV and rocking chair. There you go. That's a good goal to have. All right. So yeah, let's, uh, let's I, talk about I, I, I paid that all those years. I want, my, I want my slot in the old soldier's home. Exactly. Telling people to get off my yard. <laughs> Speaking of characters, if you were to meet any of the ones in this story in a back alley, how do you think they would treat you after the hell you put them through? 
I think most of them would see me as a teammate, you know, the same way I accept them for their faults and their foibles, they would accept them in me and that uh, we'd appreciate that about each other and we'd stay true to the team and we get the mission done. And that's, that's, that's how my characters would treat me. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking that too, right before I asked the question, because I know operators are going to operate. So like you are special forces, they're special forces. Of course they would understand because there's a certain commonality in our thinking. Some of us definitely think outside the box and, but there's you know, always a kind of like that course. Like I can understand why you put me in that situation because you knew I would do well in it. In some of that way, like I say, that's why I'm not, you know, it's like, uh, my, uh, my, uh, you know, detective mystery novels, you know, aren't released yet. My, uh, my women's, uh, you know, my young ladies coming of age novels, you know, aren't quite ready for release yet or things like that. I primarily, I primarily, I write what I know, you know, it's like the dark right. operator novels of which I'm just finishing up a sixth one of those right now, you know, it's about the same kind of thing. It's about a, you know, dark ops of legion and in, in nick and jason's you know galaxy's edge stories it's stories about that special operations in the setting of that universe but the people are the same right yeah. it's always going to be that way those of us who do that job this is who we are and that is how the job gets done you know tier 1000 which was a kind of a sidebar with all of that is like yeah you know, they're resurrected soldiers who all died in unwinnable battles and they're resurrected into a kind of Valhalla run by the God of Mars, who he sends them out on impossible missions to like power the energy of the universe. And they have to eternally go back and fight the little big horn and fight the French Indian War and fight the hell of the Pacific in World War II. And I, and I, take them all the way through the story of how uh, Delta would have successfully rescued the Iran hostages. Uh, and I tell the whole story, and I'm probably the only person who's ever assembled that into a fictionalization because I know the participants. Uh, you know, yeah. they were the generation, you know, above me and things like that. And I know a lot of things from the participants. Uh, and what was supposed to go on. And I wrote how the mission was going to be carried out past Desert One. And, you know, it's a great piece of speculative history, uh, you know, that somebody needed to tell. And I and it was a great vehicle and I got a chance to do it. Uh, you know, Warlord is more of the same. It's like, you know, every guy in special forces, you know, either, you know, on a small team or as a full team is deployed to a country somewhere to work with a host nation where you know the host nation troops are potentially as much of an enemy to them as is the enemy they're they're supposed to be helping them work against you know i mean that is just a reality of what the job is in special forces and that and that's why i write what i do you know no falling out of helicopters and doing triple somersaults and jumping through a glass window, 
you know, swinging a knife in one hand and a lightsaber in the other. And, you know, you're unstoppable. And, you know, the, you know, you got shot in the side and the bullet in the, and in the shoulder. And then you killed the other guy with his bare hands. And then you went dancing later that night. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, when I see that in visual media, when I, I won't read anything like that, that book gets thrown across the, across the room in two seconds, you know? Uh, it's like, I despise it, don't like it, doesn't entertain me, you know? And in so many ways is like a disservice to the people who actually do that job. And I right. think like given a choice that the average reader would rather be engaged by the possible rather than the absurd. No, you're absolutely right. I try and keep it kind of ground in reality. Like if my characters get shot, they're not popping a couple of Percocet and then they're out on the town that night, you know, especially if they're shot in the shoulder, given the injuries you just talked about. It's like, no, I'm sitting on the couch with ice and, and drugs. True that. Prescribed narcotics is what I'm saying. Not, not bad drugs, boys and girls. Don't do those. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that, boys and girls. <laughs> Nick is not telling you that. So okay. you told us about... So, uh, and that's coming from a doctor. So listen, he knows things. So you've talked about the characters. So what about the universe? What can you tell us about the universe of, of the Mars you send your character through? I'm giving too much away. Sorry, JR. I dig what you're doing, but nope. I'm, no, that's giving, okay. too much, I'm giving too no, much I respect away it. I respect that it. is developing over the course of the series. Nope, nope, nope. You got you to gotta learn about it with the characters, baby. Just, just look okay, that's perfectly again. valid. We we are in uh, unashamedly a uh, spoiler-free zone. So that is because uh, we want them to read the book. Reading is fundamental, people. So okay. you, there are currently three books out in this series. Um, what do you see next for these characters? Where do you see the series ending? Well, uh, if it's uh, financially successful, I don't see that series ever ending. Thank you very much. I, I could dig an answer like that. Okay. Well, There's, I mean, having said there, that, no. Hey, dog. Guns and ammo are expensive, man. Come on. <laughs> and this is my cash cow to, you know, to to keep to keep me in three hundred Norma. You know, hey, baby. You know, you're gonna be reading, you know, Warlord of the Twenty Second Century. Okay, sir. Like, okay, it'll okay. probably be financially profitable. I mean, the the premise is awesome. If you keep pumping out covers like this. You have no problem. So are you going to break it down into like volumes, like story arcs, like you have like three or four books, of, you know, with that particular story arc and then move into something else as as the characters age through that world since there's no way back? Well, the, the deal is, is that uh, as much as anything, it's kind of a geopolitical thriller. So okay. there are a lot of moving parts, you know, I mean, you've all been there. I mean, you know, a character goes to a planet. Well, you know. I always think about things in terms of what if somebody came to have an adventure on planet earth? Are they in India? Are they in sub-Saharan Africa? Are they in Australia? Are they in North America? Are they in Germany? Are they in Iceland? You know, it's like, so where is it? You know, it's, you know, the, it, it's not always like the Star Trek trope of, you know, wherever you go, there's a one world government and they're one person, you know, they're one yeah. culture and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, uh, I fight against that. You can't. You can't be too, you know, uh, pedantic or or uh, too absorbed in minutia. 
but this series is there there's a lot of geopolitical realities that they have to deal with on the planet and a big part of it is the uh there's a lot of the planet that they haven't explored and that they and that they don't know what's there so you know uh writing it that way has allowed me a lot of fodder for the future i hope they land in martian louisiana as they explore further <laughs> <laughs> right that's right yes i want to go to martian west virginia yeah, just to see if it's cooler than oh. our West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be worse. So we all know that we know that every literary universe has their own consistent, um, internally consistent rules for science, technology, and magic. So what sort of tech or magic can we expect? Well, uh, some uh, I, I definitely it's like I say there's a lot of homage in the the premise and the rules of the universe they're dealing with so you know i mean it's it would be very familiar to that and you know like uh you know mars has a lower gravity than earth the physics is different on that as a result uh the atmosphere is poor and depleted it's very much like the edgar rice burroughs universe that you know it's it was a once great culture and civilization that is devolved into decay. And there's technologies that once existed that no longer exist. And our, you know, many of our current technologies that ended up on the world with our visitors don't work. AM communication don't be working on a world that ain't got no ionosphere to bounce a radio wave off, dig me, Jack? You know, FM communication. I wouldn't even have thought about that one. AM, you know, FM communication, which is line of sight, don't get you in contact with the team who's on the other side of the mountain, you know, and you don't have AM communication and there aren't any satellites, you know, things you take for granted, like instant communication for our people doesn't exist on Mars. And because we're dealing with a, you know, a civilization that's lost that access to what once made it great, neither do the locals. So it puts us into a setting where we're dealing, you know, with things like how diplomacy was done even hundreds and thousands of years ago, where it happened by messenger. And all the things that can happen to messages along the ways, which further complicate the geopolitics of the setting. So there's just a lot of things like that. You know, same on physics, gravity, what happens to ballistic arcs? Aha. How do we so do ballistic mathematics in that? I'm sorry. It's like how how do you like as a sniper? Like we had formulas for everything. We're dangerous because not because we were accurate on the trigger, but because we weaponized math. Dang so the straight. math when you have atmosphere, like your dope's going to be all over the place because your dope on Earth is going to be completely different. Your dope on Mars. So, and I don't mean dope, boys and girls. It's sniper talk. You're dead on previous engagement. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking that when you were talking about, it's like we're dealing with these different atmospherics. I'm over here as a former hog, going shit. How would I do that? <laughs> Because I'm not yep. that great at math. I know the formulas. But to do math well, on the know, like that? That's, you know, and it's not just for snipers. It's for our gun teams. It's for everybody else over there. You know, it's like, wow. Morse. Everything. You know, what, you lay, what, yeah. what you lay in on that gun where you think you're going to initiate an ambush and if that's your 
first time you're pulling the trigger, you're probably in for a surprise on a world where the gravity is greatly different and the atmosphere is greatly less dense and all of those and all of those sort of things. So fun yeah, things to play around with, fun things for the cool. characters to react to and deal with. And, you know, it's like I say, love me a portal story. And I think I wrote stories that, you know, that 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 I would enjoy reading if I was the first time reader. I've already got dudes, you know. I don't like, think right, I've ever you know, seen. I got, fans, I got fans I didn't know. You know, I threw up pictures on IG that were, you know, cleared for OPSEC. You know, a special forces team sergeant who's deployed with his team in Syria right now, you know, who sent me a picture of him reading Warlord, who said, you nailed it. That's awesome. That's, there's no higher praise. You know, it's like I say, it's touching my tribe. I don't care if it reaches anybody else, but I want it to reach everybody. And I want you to have fun. And I want you to get some kind of glimpse into the ethos and the sacrifice and the professionalism of the silent warriors of special forces. Because there's no organization like so, it on planet Earth. I don't think I've ever seen a military, and I read a lot of mill sci-fi, where they've ever factored in the gravity and the atmosphere and how that would affect everything like that with when when it comes to bull ballistics. And you say that, and I'm like, holy crap, of course that would make a difference. I don't think anybody's ever mentioned that as something they considered. That was no, um, some granular level shit, and I'm, I'm, I well, like it. It's like I say, that's why some people love me and some people hate me. That's that's the kind of stuff that I do that makes some people say that was cool, and some people say you're boring. You know, give me give me Jedi's flipping around on lightsabers. And again, Although that goes. Those are back cool. to, I didn't write it for you. Right. So that's the, the the long story of that one is for most people who join the military, if you gave them a lightsaber, hundred percent, they're poking their eye out with it. So oh, it's yeah, probably for the best that we don't have. Minutes. Yeah. Well, true. You can't even trust us with a buffer in the base. All right, Nick, we're on 37. All right. How do you feel about, uh, how do you go about creating your aliens and uh, like the fantastical creatures in your world? Um, are they inspired by like nightmare fuel, just maybe something weird you saw on, on social media? Like I can make a creature out of that. You know, I, I try and, th you know, what, what hasn't been overdone? You know, it's hard to be, you know, people, it's hard to be original, right? Everything is derivative, you know? trying too hard to find something original you know tell tell a good story right to find a way to do that but you know i did th right. i think uh it was my second dark operator book i just said well in this universe we know that there's you know like nick and jason wrote us you know the potential that there's thousands of different alien races out there just like in a good like george lucas kind of universe way and things like that so I just, yeah, I just said, you know, my dark ops kill team are going to be working with a planet that they're mainly insect like. And, uh, and I went on Google and I got an image of Zorak from Space Ghost. Oh, I love Zorak. And I sent that to my oh, artist. Nice. I sent that to my artist, Tommaso Ranieri. And I said, the aliens look like Zorak. Run with it. And he did, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was literally, and I've even got the image somewhere. It was just like watching Space Ghost coast to coast. 
it's like I got a picture of Zorak and I go like, they're kind of like praying mantis people, but not quite, but put guns in their hands. <laughs> and he was like, I got yeah. you, fam. And he did, like, that, that, that cover came out great. You got a Dark Ops Legionnaire and you got a bunch of Zoraks with guns running around. So like, that's, oh, hell yeah. you know. I love Zorak. So was there anything, you know, this interview is obviously at the, the wrap-up part, but was there anything about Warlord that we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us? Oh, that that's very kind. Look, the the series as a whole, it's it's besides the entertainment factor, I try and hit some I try and hit some themes um, that I think will speak to anybody, right? And their their issues. Uh, you know, betrayal loyalty friendship honor and a big one that finds a thread throughout the entire series is mental health you know the the mental well-being and the mental hygiene and the psycho-emotional health of people who do these things and and how we help each other through those times how when that doesn't happen and you don't have that support from the people who are supposed to be your brothers and sisters about what a lonely world it is and you know how it is really all of our responsibility to encourage and support and care for each other as best as you can you know you know I try not to go NC17 on your on your fine podcast here you know and things like that but I'm sorry TikTok videos of you doing 22 push-ups a day you know, you're, you're self-aggrandizing and you're helping no one but yourself, right? You're not doing a bad thing, right? Trying to bring attention to veteran suicide by all those things. Unfortunately, you're primarily using that as a tool for self-aggrandizement. If you Club. really care about a veteran, pick up the phone, knock on his door, right? Invite him, involve him. Right. It's not the it's not it's not some mythical guy living somewhere else. It's the guy who is in your community. And that guy well, that guy is not shutting you out because he doesn't like you. That guy just thinks that it's not possible for you to understand that he carries the soldier's heart. And if you actually just made that effort. Instead of like throwing up a video on Instagram or TikTok or somewhere to try and make yourself look like a caring human being. And I am calling you out on this, right? If you walked across the street and invited that guy over for a barbecue and said, you are very welcome. You don't have to say anything. We would just enjoy your company. And if you do that enough times that someday eventually he feels like talking to you about what he's done and what he's felt, then you will have done your job to actually reach out and help keep somebody from committing suicide who's walked the road we've walked. Yeah, can I said it better myself. So, so there's the other, 
the other thing is, is that, you know, it, it hasn't come up before, but if you live near a VA hospital, there are people there that are quadriplegic. They can't move anything from the neck down as a result of service. And most of them have no one visiting them. Go there and read them a freaking story or bring them an audiobook or a book on tape or something so they can do more than stare at the boob tube. And, you know, like that's the kind of thing nobody does. They actually, the I nurses can. cried when I volunteered my time the first time at the VA hospital. I guarantee if you call your local VA and ask for volunteer opportunities that they will flood you with that opportunity. Yep. You know, they do push-ups and do your yeah. push-ups in private, you know, where they belong. You know, get out there and actually do something. Like 22 deadlifts. Uh, that's one of the things where, you know, and it's not about no, money, it's about time. The time is where you'll do right. it. Yeah, time's more valuable yeah. than money in my opinion. So we, we giving we, anybody your time is the most valuable yeah. thing. Just like just like I gotta say that that you wonderful friends care enough to have a guy like me on and spend a little time with them and talk about a product that he spent two years getting launched, and uh, it means the world to me. And and I you're part, I, you're part of our tribe, Doc. It's it's an easy play. You know, we get to have a friend on here and we get to talk about your creative endeavors and that's just awesome. And we enjoy Thank having you, brother, that 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 I I, so, I I endeavor to encourage and support, you know, everybody in the community as well as people who have done for me. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, it's more than that for for Nick. Well, Nick yeah, so Nick worked as a sniper, and I'm alive because the snipers that trained under the doctor do help create. So for us, it's a little more personal. Uh, we, we had an Army Ranger sniper team come to help us out where helicopters were afraid to tread in the middle of a firefight, and I still will piss on their graves. Um, so, like, it's it's personal. But we mentioned a little bit about you wrote for the, the your fellow soldier, the people that had been where you had been. But we do have some families that listen to the show together. Uh, so far, we haven't had to scare them away, so no not safe for work warnings. But what is the youngest you think this would be appropriate for someone to read? Because, you know... It, if they wanted their kids to read it, you know, how old do you think uh, is, is old I, enough? I think to it would be perfectly out? appropriate reading for, for the adolescent crowd. I think or what be, they call it now, the young okay. adult or whatever. That, for, that, for that kid in eighth grade, I think this would be perfectly inspirational reading. But, you know, I, I, I let my kids watch, you know, Pulp Fiction with me when they were in sixth grade. So I may not be the best example of, uh, of what, <laughs> well, I mean, reading. you know, it's like, yeah, my, my kids all grew up watching whatever I watched. My wife would walk by the living room. It's like, I don't even know what you want to know what you're letting those kids watch. My eight year old daughter cuddled up next to me as we watched Predator and she was cheering for the alien. Dang right. Yep. I can remember my oldest I son. I mean, I can I can get behind my that. My oldest son when, you know, I mean, he was barely out of diapers when, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan was his favorite movie. That no. and Jaws. You know? Oh, no, Jaws. Okay. Three and four years old, he liked Jaws and he liked Saving Private Ryan. As I said, that's how I know you're my son. And not the no Jaws made me scared of the water. And <laughs> the army said, we see your fear. We're going to fix that. Here's your fins. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So... This is yeah. So this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, to please do your part. Please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. They really do make a difference. So so please do that for us. Do it over on Barnes and Noble. Do it on Amazon, Goodreads, BookBub, all the places where you can write reviews. Share the love that is Warlord, uh, and he will love you forever, just not for a long time. Um, so, Doc, how can listeners find you on the Wild Wild interwebs? And we'll link that in the show notes. 
Oh, very kind. Yeah, I'm, I've got a pretty open social media presence. Uh, Facebook is just under my really real name, John Spears. You'll find me. Uh, Forge Tactical is my is my business, my uh, uh, tactical training and consulting business. And you'll find that on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. I'm on Instagram as John underscore Spears seven. Uh, I've got a small Twitter presence, but I don't really do any promotion or anything uh, like that. And then certainly through uh, on Facebook, on the Galaxy's Edge fan club, uh, I'm on there a lot and and link most everything I do to the GE fans as well, because that's the that's the core base for for uh, Wargate as well. And they're just the greatest group of human beings in the world. OK, and you can you find can us dear listener, over on and and we'll go out shooting and uh, and we'll build a fire and we'll all hang out together. Don't come by unannounced. Or you, <laughs> just don't come by unannounced, or the shooting might be you as the target. All right, more than merrier. Come on, Bob. All right. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com uh, backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page as well, but not enough followers to do your part, people, to give it a dedicated URL. So just search for us, Blasters and Blades Facebook page, and you can find it. And then we will give you a dedicated URL if you hit the like and follow. You can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech and Tech Blades. Again, uh, anchor.fm backslash Blasters dash and dash Blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and I will keep my co-host Doc Seska and Nick Garber in honor of Doc Spears. We will keep them flooded in ammo. They will shoot until the bank runs dry, which will probably take about five minutes in the current economy. But hey, all right. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thanks for coming by, Doc. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. Everybody be safe. <laughs>